not always politically correct, but always correct, using only primary source stories of those who were actually there. You're listening to Threads of Liberty. Now that there was time to stop and think about what had happened, it was enough to give a man the shakes. The thing that was most frightening about it was how the weight of a momentous battle could have come to rest so disproportionately upon just a few ordinary men-farmers, fishermen, and woodsmen. Seldom, if ever before, had one small regiment been in such a fantastic spot, and seldom had a regiment fought so fantastically. That is a quote about the Battle of Little Round Top in Gettysburg. Now, Brent DeGraff and I have been to Gettysburg. We, we, we went and we took the amazing tour that the guides there give on, she a, had on a bus. She me with my heels in the ground. I, I did, actually. One of us is a proponent of the Civil War. The other one of us prefers the American Revolution. So who would that be? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of strange that having taught history for 22, 23 years, I did not want to go to Gettysburg. I thought that was very strange. Well, yes. not really. <laughs> if you consider the fact that a major portion of my life was spent in Texas, mm-hmm. there's a different viewpoint there. Mm-hmm. And when you said, let's go to Gettysburg, my thought was, why do I want to go see a battle where the South lost? And it took you years to get me finally to Gettysburg. It did. And, and yet you had an amazing experience there. I, I will say this, that when we went there, I was stunned. I guess that's the only word mm-hmm. for it watching where these battles took place, you can literally almost feel. You can. The men that were there, there is a place at Gettysburg where they stop on the tour. It's at the edge of where Pickett's Charge took place. Mm -hmm. And they have you climb a very large tower so you can see out over that battlefield. You can almost see those young men on both sides Mm -hmm. as Pickett and his men charged in the north as they were behind that stone wall and as they saw those men coming. It's an emotional thing. It is an emotional place and there is a definite feel to it. But I was just so impressed with the kind of job that the guides do there to bring that battle to life and to make you feel it. You just sense the desperation on both sides. And there's a good reason for that desperation because this was a battle that was extremely important in the Civil War. Gettysburg is considered the most important battle and the most famous of all the Civil War. But what we're talking about today is is a battle within a battle, Mm -hmm. a small battle that unless you've seen the movie Gettysburg with Jeff Daniels, that is partially correct, (laughs) unless you've seen it, you don't know about the battle of Little Round Top. But that's the one we're going to be talking about today. It is a battle that affected the future of the Civil War. It affected the future of America. And I would with confidence say it affected the future of the world. Do you want to explain that just a little bit? Because I think a lot of people might be thinking Gettysburg well, affected the history of the world. It did. And, and the battle specifically, Little Round Top, which was the battle within Gettysburg. Mm-hmm. If the South had won the battle of Gettysburg and Little Round Top, they would have obviously won the battle of Gettysburg. If the South had won the battle of Gettysburg, they would have been able to march directly into Philadelphia, Baltimore, and Washington, D.C., There were very few troops that lie between them and the nation's capital. If the South and Robert E. Lee marched directly into Washington, D.C., this war is over. The battle is done. And the South has won. the South has won. So it affected the Civil War, but it also affected our country because most people think that if the South had won, we would have been divided into two countries. Not so. Most historians will tell you that we probably would have been divided into four different parts, at least. Why is that? You'd have had North and South. Right. You'd have also had the countries of Spain, Mexico, France, and Great Britain trying to reclaim 
land that had been won from them or taken from them at different parts. Mm -hmm. So very easily, the United States of America could have ended up being four different countries. And if we're four different countries, just take one scenario, let alone the hundreds that they are, just take one scenario of World War II. If you take World War II, you tell me how a weakened, smaller United States of America and what the other countries would have been called. How do we go in and stop the Nazis, the most powerful war machine in, in history? How do we stop the Japanese after they have bombed Pearl Harbor? We had a hard enough time as it was. And how do we stop the genocide against the Jews? The Battle of Gettysburg and the little battle that we're going to be talking about today, the crucial one of Little Round Top, changed the course of world history by keeping this country together. It would have been a totally different scenario if a man by the name of Colonel Joshua Chamberlain and the 20th Maine had not been able to do what they did on a little hill called Little Round Top. So let's talk about what Gettysburg is like for just a minute. So the North has arrived. The South has arrived. They're basically facing each other in parallel lines. There's fields. There's orchards. It's a beautiful area, it to be honest really, with you. Yeah, Pennsylvania yes. in that area is beautiful. It is July 1st of 1863, and you have approximately 95,000 northern troops faced off against 75,000 southern troops under Robert E. Lee, the name that most people will know best. They are in parallel lines, pretty much with curves mm -hmm. facing each other, except on the very southernmost end of the battle line. And that goes in the shape of a fish hook. And that fish hook is around two little hills, big round top and little round top. So kind of a parallel line with a fish hook at the end. And that's where these two little hills are that we're going to be talking about today. Okay. And the main northern general was? General Meade. General Meade. Robert E. Lee, the southern main general, was hampered by the fact that Jeb Stewart, his general in charge of horsemen. Reconnaissance, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah had disappeared. He got lost somewhere There were a number of things that happened in this. Rather miraculous things for the North. <laughs> well, it wasn't miraculous for the South, but no, yes, it was for, for, the for the North. But yeah, there were some things that happened in this, in the Battle of Gettysburg as a whole, that normally would not have happened. And you can look at it and say, well, that was unfortunate or that was lucky. I choose not to. I choose to call these events providential, if you will, because if things had gone the way that they had gone before, and I'm by before I mean this, the two previous battles, North against South, had been won by the South. They were on a roll. They were on a roll. And if they lost this one, this war pretty much was over. And the events that we talked about a minute or two ago would have taken place as far as American history and world history. So some things happened with, with Longstreet and with Jeb Stewart and stuff that affected overall the Civil War mm -hmm. and Gettysburg. But Little Round Top had some things that were even more unique or providential, if you will, than anything else that happened there at Gettysburg on July 1st, 2nd, and July 3rd of 1863. Okay, so start at the beginning. Let's start at the very beginning. Okay. <laughs> All right. July 1st. July 1st with the 180,000 southern and northern troops facing each other basically ended in a draw at the end of that first day. South had the advantage at the beginning. North kind of evened it out at the very end. July 2nd starts. Brutal day. They're fighting. The heat is just unbelievable. Around 4 o'clock, however, General Meade, the northern commander, looks to the south and sees Little Round Top. And something's wrong up there. He's not he's, hearing any cannon fire. He's supposed to have troops up there. Mm -hmm. He doesn't see or hear anything, so he sends one of his engineers running up to that hill, horsebacking up to that hill to see what's going on up there. 
this engineer gets up there and all he finds is a signal core. And what are they? Signal core. Back in the day, they didn't have cell phones, you know, so <laughs> they would signal each other about troop movements and communication through flags. Okay. All he found was a signal core up there. So this engineer realized they've got a major problem there because whoever controls Little Round Top puts their cannon up there and has the view of the whole battle that's taking place, and they can just rain grape shot down on him. But he rushes back to Meade, tells Meade what's going on. Meade says, get somebody up there. So among others, and they rush a number of regiments and units up there, and the most famous of them, Colonel Joshua Chamberlain and the 20th Maine. They race up there as fast as they can get there. At about the same time, Robert E. Lee realizes there's nobody up on top of that little hill. So suddenly the South realizes they have a hole as well. Same time. There were a number of units and regiments there, Texas and, and Alabama. The largest group was the Alabama 15th. Now, Joshua Chamberlain and the 20th Maine get there about five to 10 minutes before the Alabama 15th. As a matter of fact, neither one of them really knows the other one is there. And the Alabama 15th starts to charge up that hill. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, with the gunfire and everything that's coming back, they realize... Somebody's here. The boys in blue are here. So they pull back and set up their line of defense. And for the next two hours, the Alabama 15th and the 20th Maine go at each other. Now, we've stood at Little Round Top. It's very rocky. It's not a very large hill, but no. large enough to be a hill. A few trees. It's a very difficult hill to scale. Yeah. So you've got trees there. You've got rocks. You've got little cliffs. If you try to run down that hill, you're going to have a hard time doing that. Right. You're, and, you're gonna, and going up would not be easy either because you'd be easier. trying to protect yourself and somebody's raining stuff down on you. And during this two hours when the battle first started, one thing to keep in mind is this, that the 20th Maine, the north, had about 370 men between 350 and 400. They were allotted 60 bullets each. So they were mm -hmm. trying to partition out their usage of bullets. The Alabama 15th and the Texas units that were with them had as many bullets as they wanted, and they were just firing as fast as they could fire. But in the space of two hours, the 20th Maine used up their 60 bullets each, which meant that in a two-hour period, they fired over 20,000 shots. Wow. The Alabama 15th fired 30 to 50,000 more. So in a two-hour period, in that little space on the side of Little Round Top, you had somewhere between 50 and 70,000 musket balls flying through the air. The men that were there described it, and they said that there wasn't a tree left standing. It, mm -hmm. There were stumps. If there was anything to hide behind it, you tried to hide behind it, but there were no trees. You hid behind a rock. You hid in a little crevice. But this was brutal. This battle was among the most brutal, and this is saying something. Next to Pickett's Charge, this battle was one of the, probably the, the most brutal battle took place in, in the, at Gettysburg. Matter of fact, I think you've got a segment here that talks about just how difficult it was to, to be there at Little Round Top at this time. You tend to think that because it's just a small hill, it was a small battle. It was huge in importance, but it was intense. It was extremely intense, yes. Men were falling, reeling. The horses were plunging and tearing, gone mad due to terror or perhaps their wounds. Shells burst, drivers screaming, shots were fired overhead, flying above and creating clouds of dust. They fell on all three sides. The musketry came crashing while bullets hummed, whistled, and hissed all around. It was indescribable, with dust, wreck, smoke, carnage, and blood. So you have boys from the age of 12 or 13 on up to, to older men that were fighting this battle. This was overwhelming. 50 to 70,000 bullets in a two-hour period. It came to a point, though, 
where there was a problem for the North, and it was a big problem. Remember, I mentioned that the North only had 60 bullets per man. Right. In a two-hour period, they used them up. Colonel Chamberlain realized, we're out of bullets. We've got nothing left. It's desperate. And he was to make a decision that was to change the course of, as we said before, the Civil War, American history, and world history. But he almost didn't have a chance to make that decision. He almost, within minutes, was out of the war. This is actually by a Confederate soldier who said that he wrote to Joshua Chamberlain. This man is a Southern sharpshooter. He's a sniper in today's terms. Right. He said, Dear Sir, I want to tell you of a little passage in the Battle of Round Top, Gettysburg, concerning you and me, which I am now glad of. Twice in that fight, I had your life in my hands. I got a safe place between two rocks and drew bead fair and square on you. You were standing in the open behind the center of your line, full exposed. I knew your rank by your uniform and your actions, and I thought it a mighty good thing to put you out of the way. I rested my gun on the rock and took steady aim. I started to pull the trigger, but some strange notion stopped me. Then I got ashamed of my weakness and went through the same motions again. I had you, perfectly certain, but that same strange something shut right down on me. I couldn't pull the trigger and gave it up. That is your life. I am glad of it now, and I hope you are. So basically what happened is this sniper recognized Colonel Chamberlain from across the the valley there. He was probably about 75 yards away. And in that day, hitting somebody with a musket from 75 yards, he had to be good. He had him in his sights, ready to pull the trigger twice. He decided not to because a strange feeling came over him. I'd submit that the most important shot of that battle was the shot that was not taken. Correct. By that sniper. If he had taken that shot, he would have taken down Colonel Chamberlain. And everything that follows, which is the most miraculous of this story, Never would have happened. So Joshua Chamberlain was kind of an unassuming college professor. He'd been in the war for about a year. Uh, All of his men were about the same way. They were inexperienced. Fairly new. Matter of Mm -hmm. fact, when Colonel Chamberlain decided that he wanted to sign up to fight for the North, he was teaching at this small university and his fellow teachers tried to talk him out of it. Matter of fact, one of them went to the governor because that's where you got your assignments of what you were going to be and told him that Colonel Chamberlain wasn't fit to be an officer in the Northern Army. Chamberlain didn't care. He was unassuming, but for some reason he had a deep, deep conviction that the North needed to win this, this war. Yes, and they did. They did. So he, he went to battle. He was not qualified really to be a, a commander. What he taught, he told his other compatriots that, at the university that when he went to sign up to be an officer, he told him he was going to study foreign languages abroad because he was afraid that they were going to try to shut him down again. So that's the type of man he was, but he did have deep, deep-seated convictions. We come to this time now where that shot that wasn't taken, we now need to see why it was so important. So his life is spared. Which you can say again was chance. You can say again it was luck. It was not. Well, and if you can picture, here they are on this mountaintop. Alabama 15th is coming up the hill the bottom with moving more up. men, more ammunition. The main 20th is at the top trying to get rid of the Alabama 15th. 
there's blood everywhere. There's bodies everywhere. The gore is just horrendous. The noise, the smoke, the sound, you can't even hear anybody next to you. And then you run out of bullets. And then you run out of bullets. So Colonel Chamberlain had a, a decision that he had to make. He had been told by General Meade that you are to hold this hill at all costs, meaning you die here, but you do not give this hill up. And once again, that was because if the South was able to come around the flank, right, they would have come behind the Northern troops and been able to put them in their crossfire. If the South wins, they have control because of cannon, but they can also come behind the Northern lines and get them in a crossfire. Okay. Chamberlain then says at this moment that a strange thought came to him. And his men must have thought it was a really strange thought. (laughs) Because what Chamberlain decided to do with this thought that he admits he doesn't know where it came from, Chamberlain decides to charge down the hill. Now, that might be a good idea. If you had bullets. If you have bullets. But all they have are bayonets. And the 15th Alabama and the Texas units that are at the bottom have more bullets than they need. So what he decided to do was considered by his men and even his officers later. They admitted that they thought he was a little bit off. It was a crazy idea. When he gave the order that we are going to charge down this hill. He had another challenge on going down this hill. I'm going to do my very best to describe this, and let's hope it comes out all right. But all of us have played that game in study hall when we were in high school, where you put your fingers together with your palms facing you and your thumbs up, and that's the goalpost. And you take a little piece of paper that you fold it into a, like a triangle and you flick it through the goalpost. And it's study hall, after okay. all. I never played that one, but good for you. No, okay. You, you wouldn't have the rest of it. <laughs> Myself and the rest of the football team did. <laughs> so this is what I'd like everybody to do. So you can get a picture of what this was. Palms facing towards you. Touch the end of your fingers together. Okay. You've got thumbs up on both sides. So basically you have goalposts. Now I want you to keep your right hand straight because that's the front line of the 20th Maine. Now they had bent their left line back. So keep your fingers together, but pull your left hand back. So swing your wrist. Until you have basically an upside down L. Okay. So this is the position they were in. This is the left flank. Now why had they bent it back like that? It was to protect the 20th Maine from the 15th Alabama coming in from their left and attacking their left flank and getting around behind them. So that's the position they're in. You've got your front line, which is your right hand. You've got your flank, your left hand. What Chamberlain had to do was somehow get that left flank, your left hand, down parallel or even with the rest of your front line. For you at home, your right hand. The order went out. Bayonets. Everybody fixed their bayonets. The order went out again after instructions had been given to the commanders. The second order was charge. At that point, all of those men on the left flank were to charge down. It's called the swinging gate maneuver, like a gate swinging shut. Mm -hmm. All of the men were to charge down that hill in unison, about 200 of them, down that hill with rocks and crevices and trees and bullets flying at them, and noise that was unbelievable from the gunfire and the screaming that was going on because of those men that had been hit. I don't know how they even heard the order. That's part of the providential of, of this story. Absolutely. But they, on the order of charge, they swing down to their left full speed. The second that they got parallel to the rest of the front line, your right hand, 
all of the line was to then charge down the hill together. With bayonets drawn. Bayonets fixed to the end of their gun. So the order was given charge. They swung down. Somehow they heard it. The second they were parallel with their front line, the order was given again, charge. And the whole unit, all of the 20th Maine, somehow heard the order and they charged down that hill. Stumbling around trees and rocks. And the Confederate troops were taken completely by surprise. They were. But it only lasted two or three minutes, and this battle was over. Because you have to remember, the 15th Alabama had the bullets. The 20th Maine had bayonets. Yeah. And they were running downhill. The Alabama 15th was stationary. They had rocks to hide behind. It was a very short charge. And this is one of those cases where I have to say, today in this time, we've been told many, 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 many times that we need to put our trust in science. Well, you can't do that here because you would think if you put your trust in science and in logic, logically, the Alabama 15th annihilated the 20th Maine, but they didn't. That's right. The 20th Maine somehow, with no bullets, running downhill, stumbling as they went, outnumbered, outgunned, in three minutes, the 20th Maine overwhelmed the 15th Alabama, and won the Battle of Little Round Top. Wow. Changing the course of that battle, of the Civil War, of American history. And eventually, it is not a stretch to say they changed the course of world history. It was not by science or logic that this happened. You decide, was it providence or was it chance? You decide, is this a story we should remember and pass on to our children? that there are times when we do put our trust in the hand of providence. Well, and there's one more miraculous thing for Joshua Chamberlain as well, as he has run down this hill with his troops. Another Confederate soldier gets him in his sight, fires his gun point, point, blank, point blank at Chamberlain, and then Chamberlain is right there in his face, so his Confederate soldier just hands well, over his sword. He fires his gun at Chamberlain, but it doesn't go off. right. And he's got his gun literally pointed inches from Chamberlain's forehead. Now, I'm sure Chamberlain was very appreciative of that. <laughs> and if it were me, honestly, the Southern officer should have been appreciative also, because if you point a gun at my forehead and miss, I'm pulling my gun, and I'm going to shoot you. <laughs> but what Chamberlain did was when the officer's gun misfired, the Southern officer handed Chamberlain his sword and he surrendered to him and Chamberlain accepted the surrender. So for Chamberlain personally... This quite providential. I'm sure his family remembered that story for years. Well, and I believe the men of the Maine agreed with you in regards to how providential it was. This was a corporal. His name was Corporal William T. Livermore. He recorded the day's events in his diary, and he said, The regiment we fought and captured was the 15th Alabama. They fought like demons and said they never were whipped before and never wanted to meet the 20th Maine again. Ours was an important position, and had we been driven from it, the tide of battle would have been turned against us, and what the result would have been, we cannot tell. But with being able to look back at history and what happened after the Civil War, we know how important that position was and winning that battle was. The little battle of Little Round Top that most of us and most of those listening have probably never heard of changed the course of world history, and it was not by science, and it was not by luck. We hope you've enjoyed this story about the Battle of Little Round Top at Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Join us again for more fun history stories. 
We hope you'll join us again for our next story of Threads of Liberty.